0: Coming up on today's episode of Membership and Subscription Growth.
1: If you can learn to work with the gatekeepers in an effective way, they can they can actually be incredibly uh, helpful, and uh, you, you can they they can help you make lots of progress towards you know a subscription. In the other areas of our business, we've shifted a bit from asking you know who's the decision maker on this purchase to asking who has the budget that would cover this. If you have a really good product that adds a lot of value to people, even if you don't do a great job with the communications uh, at renewal time,
0: you'll probably get a lot of renewals. Welcome to Membership and Subscription Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Scrobe. My guest today is Dan Fink, who is the Managing Director of Money Media. He oversees the entire business unit, which is a subsidiary of the Financial Times. Money Media publishes several different publications, and I'll let uh, Dan explain that a little bit in just a moment. But the key you're looking for in uh, today's episode is the real big distinction Dan makes in how he sells his subscription program. Most people uh, go about it in a completely different way than uh, what Dan is going to reveal in today's episode. And I think you're going to find it to be a... uh, tremendous breakthrough for you, and uh, it, it could be a huge opportunity. So with that, uh, no more delay. We'll get into today's episode of Membership and Subscription Growth. Welcome to Membership and Subscription Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Scrow. My guest today is Dan Fink of Money Media. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Happy to be here. So for someone who isn't familiar, what is Money Media? Uh, what what do you publish?
1: All right. Uh, Money Media, first I should say that we are a wholly owned subsidiary of the Financial Times. Awesome. Uh, so hopefully people are familiar with the Financial Times. It's a large uh, global newspaper focusing on the, the finance industry, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you fair. know, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's a newspaper you see in airports that has a funny color to it.
1: Yeah, the the pink color to the paper. Although I have to say, with the way uh, the world is evolving, there's not as nearly as much pink paper around as there are uh, tablet apps and phone <laughs> apps nowadays.
0: Yep, well, and I certainly was a, uh, for a long time, have been a Financial Times subscriber and made the transition from the pink paper to the pink app.
1: Yeah, they've, uh, you know, I think – you know, Money Media and FT are similar in that perspective. Uh, from we've worked hard to, you know, sort of build a digital modern presence in the publishing industry. You know, Money Media specifically was acquired by the Financial Times uh, in January of 2008, uh, just before the uh, economic crisis. And uh, you know, they acquired us because they're looking to. Exp- they were looking at the, at the time to expand in the U.S. They, they still are expanding here and. Uh, They also believe in the value of sort of specialized information services, specialized news uh, like like what Money Media provides. Uh, Money Media itself, we have uh, eight news services. Uh, Most of them are aimed at the financial and and specifically the investment management industry. So companies uh, like mutual fund companies or hedge funds or private equity fund companies uh but we also have a, a prominent new service called Agenda which is uh, a little bit of the black sheep of the family but it's targeted at corporate board members so the the folks that sit on the the boards of US public companies so uh, as well we've we've been looking to expand recently and we've just launched a new service in the insurance space uh and we're looking at a few other areas outside of the investment management space so uh you know we're 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 a news company- you know the vast majority of our, our revenue comes from subscriptions we're a wholly owned subsidiary of the f t uh and we are you know very focused on you know the traditional news space
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's it's amazing all the different you know I've been in, in the subscription business now for more than twenty years and have heard of all sorts of uh, types of publications and and businesses and uh, it it only makes sense that corporate boards have their own publication and uh, and folks that are sitting on the boards of mutual funds and the directors of mutual funds have their own publications and uh, it, it's it, you can certainly see the. Kind of the congruence with the Financial Times and what they offer, uh, and 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 how Money Media is a is a terrific brand extension for that.
1: Yeah, you know, specifically on the area of corporate boards, there's there's more going on now than I think there has been. Uh, maybe in the in the nearly twelve years I've been with with Money Media, uh, I mean certainly at the time at the time of the uh, Great Recession, there was there was a lot of attention paid to boards, but. Right now, with the types of things that have happened at uh, some of the big names in the press you know from Wells Fargo to Uber to Fox News and the whole Weinstein company fallout, there's a lot of discussion right now of what is the board's role and and where does the board sort of end and management begin and and what you know who's responsible for what and what is reasonable for a board member to handle so i don't want to get too deep into that, but uh, you said the idea of a, board, you know, a, uh, a group like boards of directors having their own dedicated news service. Um, that's what we do. You know, we, we find niche groups that have specialized needs, and we try to deliver you know, premium, top-quality content for them, specifically around the area of, of what's going on, what you need to know, how do the big events of the day affect you and your role.
0: That's yeah, well, and it's certainly related to corporate boards, uh the whole Enron scandal and the new regulations that came out after that, which uh it was in the in the early 2000s, I had a huge project with uh, CPA uh publications and uh, doing um you know, subscription renewals and, and and marketing at that time and I'm sure the, you know the the board publications were were big as well with um with with your with what you are doing with the boards, I mean, geez, if these are people who, who are CEO. You know, somebody who serves on a corporate board is either you know attorney or financial guy, a banker, or a CEO themselves, and they have they have a run a They have a busy life, and they have all kinds of gatekeepers around them. How on earth do you get your message to this decision maker so that they go, yeah, I want to be a subscriber? Uh, and uh, I, I'd, I'd love to receive your your publication.
1: So that's a good question. You know, it, it's a mix of traditional and uh, non-traditional tactics. You know, I think on one hand, from, or from the traditional perspective, you have to have a really good quality product. You know, we we the pressure is on us to have news stories and headlines that are going to attract their attention and and be compelling, so that when we do get them. Uh, when we do get our content in front of them, uh, they're they're interested. Uh, So we can use traditional direct, you know, uh, sort of marketing techniques for that. We can use email. uh, We can use social media. Uh, We we actually find for this group, email works really well. Uh, You know, supposedly there's more and more of this demographic on social media, but we, we really haven't found a lot of success in that area so far. But I'll tell you on the non-traditional side, you know there's there's this sort of belief that you have to talk to the decision maker if you want to make a sale. Um, and i've I've been in the publishing industry for my whole career, and that's always been sort of the mentality. But I'll tell you this is a case where uh, if you can learn to work with the gatekeepers in an effective way, they can they can actually be incredibly uh, helpful and uh, you, you can they, they can help you make lots of progress towards you know a subscription the the board members and CEOs Do make the ultimate decision, but we have um, I mean I would venture to say we have over a million dollars of business on the books With these folks where we've never actually spoken to the decision maker or, or I would say we never spoke to the decision maker initially before the sale came in so It is very possible to work with the gatekeepers and make a lot of progress in this area
0: well, uh, so what do you? How, how does your team work with the gatekeeper in order to get the get them to work with the decision maker in order to st- get a yes decision for your publication?
1: So uh, you know, I, I think from the general perspective, it, it it took it was a matter of us learning how this world operates, um, and then learn and then sort of figuring out how to take their normal mode of operations and, and, and work within that. For this specific case scenario, uh, what we learned over the years was that each corporate board has a sort of specific liaison within the company who controls the majority of communications that goes out to the board, um, and that the board really always makes decisions by consensus. Uh, so, if you have one director, one board director on a trial, they're not really going to be able to make a decision at that point, even if they're the chairman of the board, you know, or the chairman slash CEO. They can make a decision, but they don't because out of, out of respect for the other board members. So it's important to get, you know, one board member interested initially, but then to set up a trial for the for the whole board overall, uh, and to have somebody, you know, really the first step we're looking for is finding someone who's willing to be a bit of a champion for the board trying our product, uh, rather than really pushing towards that person to try the product individually, uh, as well. You know, working with the, the, you know, identifying who it is that controls the majority of communications to the board, we can often find that person and say, hey, so-and-so has requested a trial or so-and-so had a trial in the past. We wanted to offer a trial to the full board. Can you ask the board if they're interested? Um, I can send you samples of the content. And in many cases, those people have taken the content, have checked you know and you know checked with at least one board member um, or officer of the company and said yeah this news looks like it's high quality it's okay to offer it to the board and, and they'll do all this work on our behalf they'll, they'll check it internally they'll offer the, the trial to the whole board they'll get all the different board members who are interested set up um, and then we can follow up with them and they'll you know get a decision for us from the next board meeting uh, if they want to if they want to subscribe or not so uh, but it is it is important to understand how the board works, and we made mistakes along the way trying to get one director to sort of uh, be able to make the decision on behalf of the board, uh, or uh, you know, or, or trying to only get two board members and not work with the gatekeepers. So it was it was definitely a learning experience for us there.
0: Well, and, and I think this is an important lesson for anybody selling into a corporate environment, and you're, you're certainly selling to the board at the top level. But uh, just the same as if you're selling a SaaS tool that you're going to try to get, you know, multiple departments to implement or another publication that's for the sales department or for, you know, research and development, you know, it's, it's crucial that you understand who all the decision makers are so that when they come to a consensus, it's really a no-brainer in order to to buy and so many times we have these blinders on that we want to get to the one main person ignoring the fact that in today's world uh, most decisions are made by consensus and that it's usually more of an organizational move than it is you know one boss with you know the smoking a cigar that says let's do it uh, so i think it's <laughs> a, a a great uh, recognition and a lesson for all of us
1: uh, agreed in fact in the other areas of our business we've shifted a bit from asking, you know, who's the decision maker on this purchase to asking who has the budget that would cover this? Because that person, you know, maybe traditionally was the decision maker, but they, like you said, almost all decisions are made with some amount of consensus these days. So we always want to get the budget holder involved uh, in the decision making process, but we no longer, you know, we really shifted most of our business away from trying to focus, you know, solely on the decision maker or the idea that there's one you know like you said that 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 picturesque guy with the cigar making a decision for everybody. Uh, that's not how it works anymore
0: well with the budget question, is that kind of a personal question do do, do folks feel uh, uncomfortable asking or answering that question?
1: Uh, I mean, I suppose it can come across the the wrong way, but we're we're careful. Uh, with how we explain our business and, and our our subscription model, you know m- maybe for us it's a little easier when it comes to this area, but we only sell corporate licenses. so individuals will come to our website or respond to our marketing and request a trial. Uh, we give them a trial uh, on an individual level right away, but we explain you know we only you know our product is only available as a corporate license, so we'd love to expand the trial to anybody else at your organization who is uh, going to be relevant, to, you know, to seeing, you know, to using the content or to making the decision as a group, certainly the, you know, whoever it is that holds the budget, uh, we, w- we would like to get them involved. Uh, and, and we sort of approach it that way. And uh, people understand that, yeah, the, the budget holder has to be involved if it's a corporate license.
0: That's really brilliant. So it's, So what you're doing, though, is when you get the, when you, you, you get the lead and, uh, of somebody who's interested, and then you, you have a conversation with that individual, of, uh, and the conversation really is more about how you can deliver more value to them and the people around them uh, versus uh, you, know, you making the sale. So it, it's making them look like a hero because they're making this information available to all of their peers.
1: Uh, Agreed. You know, we've we've sort of developed this sort of three-step science to, or this three-step process to uh, making corporate license sales. And I know a lot of companies still, or I wouldn't say still, but a lot of companies offer individual subscriptions, and that's the nature of their business. But most companies have at least some corporate license options, even if they don't offer those exclusively the way we do. Uh, And in the case of corporate licenses, the three steps we look at, or the three steps we use are, uh, you know marketing's job is is sort of step 1 it's to generate individuals who are interested uh, and and they bring in sort of you know a, a request for a trial or a lead it's the sales rep's job not so much to sell as much as it is to expand the trial you know they're 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 really not talking about buying you know in in the early stages or or really not until the very last stage at all of their work in the middle step is aimed at augmenting the number of people at the organization who are looking at the product uh, and you know, determining if there, there's an interest level. So they want to get, if they can get 5 people, 10 people, 20 or 30 people involved in the trial, you know, that's what they're trying to do. Uh, it's really, in a lot of ways, one of the things we say here is that it's the product's job to sell itself. You know, if we can find the right people who are at the right companies that are relevant, to express interest, and we can get a large number of them to look at the product and evaluate it. Then at that point, if the product is good, they're going to say to us, yeah, we want to get this. We want to buy this. Um, We want to subscribe and have access. Certainly, it does take, you know, a step at the end of the sales rep saying, so, you know, are you interested in pricing or, you know, trying to move to the close? But uh, they don't view, you know, that as their, you know, their, their main job, or the, the sort of the concept of, of always be closing—that's not really the mentality we use. Our our concept is more around, you know, augment the 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 interest and the interaction with with the organization, and get them as tied into the trial as possible, and that that will yield a subscription if the product is good on you know at the end of the process.
0: Hmm. That's that's a beautiful process, and certainly helpful to everybody who is, you know, has a larger sales that. If they're selling subscriptions to companies and you know, selling a company license. What, what are your secrets for creating a product that sells itself that is so good that uh, your customer looks at it and goes, oh, wow, I've got to get access to this? Because right now, I mean, we're competing against free uh, content or even low-priced. I mean, you've got other publications like Forbes and things that you know kind of market to the same customer you know how do you how do you distinguish yourself and create something that folks go yeah we we need we need this
1: so you know that's a good question and i think there there's there's two levels of this that i'll i'll, I'll sort of bring up right away the first level is just in the concept of the product is, is there a group of people that have a homogenous enough set of needs that we can create content you know, for them and that that content is not widely available. We can create specialized content for them that is going to be very valuable and, and that content is not widely available elsewhere. Uh, and, and so what we find in the investment management industry is that there, there's, there's a ton of, int- of content, of, of news, uh, of research, about the investment management industry, but it's a a big industry. And the people we're writing for uh, on those products are people who work at these companies. And they have the job of running the business of being an investment manager. So certainly there are investment gurus who are making investment decisions with everybody's money, everybody who's contributed money into the fund. Uh, But there are people who work in accounting and people who work in finance and in marketing and in sales and they're running the business of being an investment manager and the news you know back when the you know these products were founded the news in that area was not was not very good there was not and there was not much of it uh, so we were able to identify a group of people that had a homogenous set of needs and produce content for them that uh, was really valuable and, and so so i think that's sort of stage wise make sure you have a product concept a market an audience that you can serve really well, and then step two is just doing a very good job uh, of serving them. You know, we we invest uh, significantly in the uh, the staff that produce our content. We have um, just really smart journalists and editors that produce really good content, and we invest in the technology uh, that delivers it. We offer you know websites, we offer mobile apps, we offer tablet apps. Uh, and, we, and we make the, you know, the content available in a lot of different formats. We also offer RSS feeds, and now we're offering um, a pretty sophisticated uh, CRM integration if people want to take some of our news and data and integrate it directly into their CRM. So however people want to consume our information, you know, we want to make it available in all those channels.
0: And I imagine on the technical side, you have folks that have very high expectations, a very low tolerance for crap, and also some of them aren't, you've got some that are really technically savvy and and have a high demand and high expectation of what you're able to deliver, and at the same time, customers that are very not technical savvy uh, and they're trying to struggle along. How do you balance that technical side?
1: Yeah, you know, that is a very good point, and we I think that's another area where we've learned over the last uh, couple of years as more and more companies have come to us saying, hey, we want an RSS feed, we want a CRM integration, um, or we want to do something more technically advanced than the traditional uh, website or apps. Mm-hmm. And what we've had to do is uh, create either responsibilities or even roles in a couple of cases where these people are dedicated to helping uh, essentially manage the project, you know, a, a project manager type role where they can work with the client and, and the client's tech team and the client's users and with our own internal tech team and our own internal uh, sales team and, and make sure that uh, the project is being delivered well and being delivered uh, to spec and on budget and, and so forth.
0: So uh, the, your tech and sales team are the ones that handle the onboarding and getting customers to, to use your products.
1: Yeah, well, we've got – the sales team is is sort of closing the sales. We have a really top-notch customer service team that takes uh, the sort of a handoff between sales to the customer service team uh, at the time of the sale. And then the customer service team is doing you know, some stuff that sounds pretty basic, but really it's critical if you want to – have a strong renewable business. I mean, you've got to make sure people, once they buy, that they can, that they've got a username and a password, and they've tried it and they can log in successfully. And we're sending them emails, and they're receiving those emails. And you know, not just that we're sending them, but they have to be receiving them because there's there's spam filters and there's lots of stuff that happens along the way. Uh, and you've got to make sure that everything is off to a good start in the beginning. Um, and so yeah, so our our customer service team is is, is doing that, and then. When they're working on something more technical, the project manager is coordinating everything in the technical element as well as the the end user element, uh, and making sure that you know what we're delivering is what was actually purchased and paid for upfront.
0: Well, and I think like, that that whole idea that you are making sure that the customer not just not just send, you're not just sending the email, but you're taking responsibility that the customer is receiving it, that r- illustrates a real core value of your company that you are really focused on the customer experience, not, you know, so many folks, and I love where you started on the two things, you know, Uh, on the fundamentals of having a product that attracts customers is that you started with the people understanding who you're selling to and then coming up with the product concept but then the fact that you're focused really on not the sending and creation of content but on the experience that that member has with it and making sure that it's a pleasant one and that they're excited and have the opportunity that that the content can engage them because they're receiving it. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, you know, if, uh, if we're sending it and it's great, but they never receive it, then, uh, we, then we still lose the game. So we, you know, we've been, we've made a lot of uh, efforts and set up a lot of systems to make sure that it is being, uh, you know, fully delivered to, 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 the end client. Um, because we, you know, obviously we, we've, uh, in earlier years we suffered from the case where we had great content and we sent it but the client didn't get it. Um, and we we sort of learned that lesson and, and built a lot of systems around that to make sure that it was uh, in place in the beginning. And then we've also built a number of monitoring systems to make sure nothing happens along the way. People, you know, it's amazing the number of things that can happen along the way. Uh, a company can change uh, vendors for their spam filter and suddenly none of our content is getting through. Or as they add the number of users We'll, we're sending more and more emails because they're having more and more people sign up. But now suddenly the volume of email we send is over a certain line and we start getting, start getting blocked. It's over a certain limit. So you know, it views us as spam because there's too many messages coming into the email server. There's all sorts of things that happen along the way. So we have a number of, you know, sort of digital and human monitors in place making sure that we're always able to deliver and they're always actually receiving in
0: the end. That's amazing, and uh, the subscription business has exploded over the last ten years. You know, lots of companies are shifting from either a product focus or you know one-off customer to an ongoing subscription program. Uh, you have been in the subscription industry your entire career. Uh, what uh, what sort of as you see companies transitioning, either as a customer or uh, that you've seen this, or you know you've see, you know, seen it happen within the publications and things that you're you're monitoring, what, what are, what's the, like one of the biggest mistakes that you've seen companies make when they try to implement a subscription model rather than a product model?
1: Um. I think one of the biggest mistakes, and this might sound obvious because it, it relates to everything we've said up to this point, but uh, that renewal decision is really primarily based on the product experience. I don't want to I – then mean, I could throw out a percentage. I could say it's 99% based or it's 90% based. Uh, I, I won't put an exact number on it because it's, it's not that kind of thing, but uh, ultimately, the, the bottom line is, if you have a really good product that adds a lot of value to people, even if you don't do a great job with the communications uh, at renewal time, you'll probably get a lot of renewals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then vice versa, if you do a great job, you know, to trying to renew people, um, at, you know, at the end, you've got you know beautiful emails or letters or packages, whatever they are. Uh, and that they're worded well and they're designed really nicely. If people didn't have a good experience along the way, then you're, no matter how nice it is, you're probably not going to get uh, a great renewal rate. So it's really about having a 365-day mentality that if you're going to try and renew these people a year later, that you better, you know, you, your job starts on day one to make sure that they have a good experience all year long. And then the pressure is off when the renewal time comes.
0: I love that. Really, about a 365-day mentality. Uh, my goodness, Dan! Thank you so much for being my guest. Uh, you know, talking about your your sales process and and how you add more value, uh, the process of delivering a product that uh, that folks want, that does the work of retaining your client, and having that 365-day uh, renewal mentality. Great, great insights. Uh, Dan Fick, for, uh, for folks that want more information about Money Media that have uh, that may be on a board that uh, might know of folks that would be interested, where's the best place for them to go and check out Money Media?
1: Uh, I mean, our website is probably the best place. You can go to money-media.com, and that will show you our uh, set of products, and you can find out information on, on each one and link through to a trial if you're interested.
0: Thank you so much for being my guest on Membership and Subscription Growth.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed Membership and Subscription Growth today. uh, I'm sure there were several new breakthroughs and ideas on how you could grow your subscription business and really what this whole subscription industry is all about. You know, go from subscription boxes to SaaS to publications to you know, trade publications that are selling into businesses. It's an amazing, diverse business that this whole subscription and membership world uh, is. And we haven't even talked about nonprofits and associations, a place where I've worked for more than two decades. So absolutely uh, great insight here. And I'd encourage you to check out the uh, free report, five quick questions to accelerate your membership and subscription growth. The answers will reveal your fastest opportunities to recruit more new members, keep your members from quitting, and generate faster recurring revenue growth. Visit robertscrope.com to uh, download your report today, and uh, you'll... Love this! It's a five quick questions that you know won't take any time at all, and each each kind of the mystery of the questions and why they work uh, are, is all revealed right there in the report. So, ho- I hope you enjoy the report. I hope you enjoy today's podcast, and we'll talk with you next time on membership and subscription growth.